Welcome to the Adopting Joy podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Seward-Ryan. It's my passionate mission to share inspirational insights, actionable tips, tools, and techniques that you can apply immediately so you can create your best life. Sample topics include dealing with difficult people, how to get motivated and stay motivated, and transforming your struggles into success. If you're looking to create a more free and fulfilling life filled with greater happiness, health, and healing, you've come to the right place. My goal is to help you love your life. It's one of the secrets to adopting joy. Most of us, if we could wave a magic wand and not have to practice, would love to give a presentation, I know I would, (laughs) without having to prepare. If we're honest with ourselves, and I know I sometimes feel this way, the thought of preparing sometimes is boring, but that's more walking through the the technical material because I actually love preparing the material for my clients. But let's face it, for a lot of us, the thought of practicing is boring. It can even seem tedious at times, and it can be a lot of work which is why we'd often rather not have to prepare for a presentation or a meeting. But it's it's parallel with working out. You know, with working out, you aren't always thrilled at the prospect, but you know how much better you feel afterwards. It's the same with public speaking, but even more so in a virtual environment because now you're dealing with technology. And as you've probably discovered, sometimes technology has a mind of its own. Sometimes your internet provider has a mind of its own and has decided to make repairs and updates whenever it's convenient for them. They're not going to wait until your virtual presentation very important virtual presentation or meeting is complete. A little over a year ago, I conducted a Zoom seminar on public speaking skills in a virtual environment. It was for a global organization, and this particular audience was in Europe, mainly England and France. I remember thinking how happy I was because While I was going to be speaking literally in the middle of the night, I know that probably doesn't sound fun, but while I was going to be speaking in the middle of the night, uh, from about 2 to 5 a.m., I felt relieved because here in the U.S., almost no one is on their computer at that hour. So I was going to have no competition, or so I thought. Well, around 2.30 a.m., when I was discussing with the class the importance of having backups, like having a second computer or iPad on and making yourself a co-host 
and having your phone on Zoom and on that device making yourself a co-host, that's when my Wi-Fi went out as I'm discussing this. And I, I disappeared. Turns out my cable company was making repairs and updates at that hour. Why? Because typically that's when the fewest people are online, except me, of course, and anyone else presenting to a global company at that hour. Thankfully, I called in with my iPhone and uh, I was up and running three minutes later when the Wi-Fi came back on. The moral of the story, you can never be too prepared, especially when it comes to public speaking in a virtual environment, because you can't completely control technology or what your internet provider will be working on and when. Well, if you follow me on social media, You've probably listened to my other episodes, um, my other podcast episodes. Maybe you've uh, read a lot of my write-ups. I probably spend the most time on um, Instagram. So if you've listened to anything else or you've uh, read any of my write-ups on social media, you know I'm a speaker who's conducted keynote speeches and seminars in 48 states and six countries for more than two decades. And I'm very grateful to have, to have been able to go to all these places. You know, I wouldn't have been able to afford all of that uh, travel. Post-pandemic, since about March of 2020, almost every presentation I've done, whether it's been a keynote to a conference or whether it's been a business training, almost every presentation I've done has been virtual on either the Zoom platform, Adobe Connect, Teams, or some over some other form. I can tell you, and you probably already know this, that giving a presentation, giving a presentation virtually is a whole different animal. First, you need a lot more energy. You need more energy than if you've ever been on television. You have to be more energetic because most likely your audience is sitting down at home, maybe at the office, and they're staring at the computer screen. It's a lot easier for them, easier than ever to get distracted whether somebody at work is coming up to them with a question while you're speaking, or um, <laughs> as one of my clients said, they're staring at the dishes at home in the sink, or um, occasionally I have people, the dog wants to go out, they have to quickly take the dog out to the yard and come back. So it requires a lot more energy to keep people focused and engaged. Second, you need to know your technology backwards and forwards so you can enjoy interacting and connecting with your participants. And yes, that means a lot of practice. I'm circling back to talking about practice. Better yet, 
when you're conducting even a lot of meetings or uh, maybe you do sales presentations, for others of you, it's some other type of presentation. Either way, you need to keep it interactive. It's imperative that you keep your audience engaged or you'll lose them. And so it doesn't matter how interesting your material is, if they're not paying attention, it won't matter. Now, I'll admit, I I get distracted like everybody. You know, if I attend a conference online or a seminar, I, I get a little bit distracted too, but some speakers are better than others at keeping people engaged. As you know, when the pandemic was declared in March of 2020, everything went viral. That was when I made the decision to learn a lot of these platforms because I love what I do and everything, and I mean everything, went virtual. Every speaking engagement, every conference. Now, I'm no techie, but I also didn't have a choice. So groups of us speakers and trainers would get together and even practice outside of the classes because we knew if we were going to make a mistake, (laughs) better that it be with each other and be each other's guinea pig than to make a mistake with a client. The other thing I'll tell you is that when you practice with your peers, for those of you that can practice with your colleagues, it's more fun. You're all learning together. You're being supportive of each other. It's one of the most sympathetic audiences you'll ever have. So consider practicing with others rather than just being home alone or in the office alone or join Toastmasters which is international, and they have meetings all over the world, some now in person, but some which are still virtual. Third, and most importantly, make it about your audience. Make it about them. Studies show your participants are going to be tuned into radio station WII. FM. Now, I know some of you have already heard that, so please have some patience with me here because I want to be inclusive for the people that don't know what is radio station WIIFM. What does that stand for? What's in it for me? So, if your heart and mind are in the right place when you're speaking, and you genuinely are there to educate them or inform them or persuade them of something that will help them, make sure that comes across. The best way to start when you're thinking about what you're going to say and you're, you know, doing all this way ahead of time, the best way to start is to answer the question, what's in it for me? Now, as you're putting your presentation together, be thinking, okay, the audience is going to think, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? So think about that when you're putting together your presentation. By the way, you also might want to actually say that somewhere during your presentation. You might want to state your point. So, you know, state whatever is one of your main points and then say, some of you might wonder, 
Why is this important? Here's why it's important to you. I like to say that, you know, you've heard the saying, realtors will tell you that a lot of buyers have no imagination. And so sometimes you have to make things really obvious with them and what you can do with a home. I'll admit I'm one of those buyers with (laughs) no imagination. Well, I like to say sometimes your audience can be the same way, where sometimes until you let them know why something is important and how it's important to them or the people that they serve, they may not see it. When you've practiced, even if practice means you know your material inside and out, you feel lighter, happier, and better prepared for just about anything, including dealing with a difficult audience member, which is something I hear about frequently, and or technology that sometimes has a tendency to do its own thing. I have a very good friend, highly intelligent, uh, former CEO. She's working on her PhD. She's done tons of presentations over the years. And even recently, she said to me, Colleen, the technology She said, what makes me nervous is the technology, because sometimes you just don't know what it's going to do, sometimes through no fault of your own, as I've discussed. So here are some easy public speaking tips when you are presenting in a virtual environment. Now, I've already laid the foundation, but what I'd like you to do is grab a pen and a piece of paper so you can write down these key takeaways and how you're going to apply them beyond today. Now, not all may apply to your situation, and probably not not all of these will apply. So take what you like and leave the rest. And if you're driving and you hear a great idea, please pull over And just jot it down and be thinking how you're going to apply it and write that down as well. Number one, some of you maybe have heard me say this before. I like to say the work is in the preparation. The fun is in the presentation. The more prepared you are, the more relaxed you will feel and the more credible you will appear. Remember this quote by German-American composer, conductor, and pianist, Andre Previn. He says, if I miss a day of practice, I know it. If I miss two days, my manager knows it. If I miss three days, my audience knows it. And if you've listened to my other episodes, you know that I love to uh, give quotes. Number two Answer the two important questions your audience is thinking. They're wondering, what's in it for me? So I've already talked about that. But they're also thinking, so what? A specific example would be when I talked about how by practicing, you'll perform better. You heard me say that. So that might be the what's in it for you that by practicing, you'll perform better. What's the, so what? Well, 
Maybe for you, what answers the so what is you'll feel more relaxed, more prepared, and you'll come across as more credible. That's what. Now, I want to say there isn't always a one-size-fits-all to what will matter most to each participant. Which brings me to another important tip. Number three, and by the way, these are not in any particular order. Number three, know who you're speaking to. Who is going to be in your audience? Learn as much as you can about them way ahead of time. Are you just doing more of an educational awareness presentation to your peers? Or will this be a virtual talk for upper management, leadership? So be prepared to, when you're putting your presentation together, answer that question. Number four, be prepared to have people who disagree with you. For example, recently I had someone in my audience who frequently presents virtually to upper leadership, upper management. She said they don't necessarily always agree with her, but that based on her research and background information, she usually knows why her recommendation is best. She asked me how to handle this. I would say the best way to handle something like this with finesse is to listen attentively to what they have to say. You've heard of active listening. Listen attentively to what they have to say and acknowledge it. Be empathetic. Be tactful and specific in sharing where and why you differ. Have all your facts backed up with specific research. And be open and flexible to their point of view. You know, who, who knows? They may have background information um, that you're not aware of. Use a neutral, objective tone. Be aware of your body language, even though they're probably only seeing you on a Teams or Zoom webcam from the neck up. So, you know, they're not really seeing much of you, but still be aware of your body language and your facial expressions. Number five, if you represent a global company, make sure you use closed captioning, especially if you're speaking to people out of the country. This works especially well when you have audience members for whom English is a second language. English is a hard language, um, but this works especially well for people where English is a second language because they can often pick up what you're saying faster by reading it. Also, not everyone is an auditory learner. I know for me, I'm more visual and kinesthetic. A lot of people are visual learners and seeing what you have to say will help them absorb it. Closed captioning also works well if you frequently have participants for whom their computer audio may not work or may not work that great. And for whatever reason, 
they don't want to call in because that's typically an option, but sometimes they don't want to call in. So this works very well if you're presenting to people in another country. Number six, when you're preparing your presentation, be thinking. What do you want your audience to think, say, feel, or do differently after you speak or after your meeting? This is an excellent method for helping you come up with your purpose and everything you want to talk about. It's a great way to start when you're putting it, the program together. Seven, if people will be streaming in and you have a point of contact who will introduce you, ask them if they plan to start right away or they want you to wait a few more minutes for people to dial in. So when I talk about people streaming in, in other words, people coming in, showing up for your virtual presentation, oftentimes I find that Many participants are in a meeting that's running overtime, <laughs> and the person introducing me wants to wait until there's a few more people coming in, until those people are able to come in, even if that means waiting just a few minutes, you know, two, three, four. So plan how you'll handle this ahead of time, because I find that more often than not, a lot of organizations suffer from meeting-itis, and you might have a number of people coming in a little bit late. So two, three, four minutes, it might be worth it. But if somebody is your point of contact, ask them. Eight, do you want everyone to have their webcams on? I know ideally I do. A year ago, I conducted a Zoom seminar for a group of leaders and managers, this was a wonderful group, whose CEO has the motto that you wouldn't let people attend an in-person meeting with a bag over their head. So why would you let them attend a virtual meeting or training without their webcams on? I love it. So of course, you know, for that program, it made my job easier. Uh, because they all knew they had to have their webcams on. But this isn't always the case. And some organizations, some conferences certainly don't require it. Uh, sometimes people have a computer where the webcam just doesn't work. Typically, I want people to feel comfortable. So I let them know it's fine to eat, snack, drink coffee, um, you know, while they have their webcams on. Um, I let them know, you know, feel free to show us your cat or dog or baby. I don't mind if they show while you have your webcam on. If you've listened to my other episodes, um, you know I'm a big animal lover. So most importantly, I let them know that by having their webcams on, I get a better idea for when they need a break. Like if I see them squirming and that always gets a laugh, but they also get the point. So I find that helps them to be more likely to have the webcam on. I also tell them that it'll be more interesting for them if their webcams are on because they can see each other. A lot of times, too, they don't know each other or they don't know each other very well. They can put a face with a name. 
Another trick I use is to enlist the help of the person in charge. This helps tremendously. The last thing you want is to feel like you're giving a virtual presentation to yourself if none of them have their webcams on and you're wondering if they're even there, much less paying attention. Otherwise, they could be walking the dog, preparing lunch, <laughs> cleaning the house with you on speaker. Who knows? Number nine, and kind of use your judgment on this one. Number nine, call on people who've been silent, who haven't spoken up, or who haven't even typed answers to your questions in chat. Speaking of which, number 10, it's perfectly acceptable to know that in the beginning, most of your participants will maybe prefer to answer your questions in chat, while a small percentage will unmute and then answer your question. So you, you get that audio discussion, which is always what I aim for. Usually about 20% of your virtual audience will speak up. And in the beginning, the other 80% will be quiet. This is typically the same with in-person programs. So some of what I'm talking about does apply. Um, some of you, these are public speaking tips that some of these would work in person as well. So how do you engage the rest, those people that are maybe, you know, responding in chat, but, you know, you've got people that really don't want to unmute and respond to questions or ask a question or share a story. So how do you engage the rest? Number 11. Okay, this is a big one. Utilize the breakout session tool. This is one of my biggest secrets. You can put people into small groups with breakout sessions, with Zoom, Teams. I have a lot of clients that use Teams and the Adobe Connect platform. And then give them a task, you know, whatever it is that you want them to come up with as a group, maybe, you know, write down key takeaways they've heard so far and how they're going to apply them. You know, it kind of helps them to uh, kind of apply the best practices. Let them know that they need to be prepared to share what they came up with as a group to the whole class. So have them prepared when they're in their small groups that they'll then prepare to um, the large group. The benefit to you, it will change the whole dynamic when they come back from the breakouts and you have everyone do a debrief. Many of them will now share more, talk more. They'll feel more comfortable because they were first with a small group of people. Frankly, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert on the Myers-Briggs personality survey. Honestly, I am, <laughs> deep down, I am a total introvert. And even I prefer sharing in a small breakout session when I attend seminars as opposed to opening up and sharing with the whole group. 
Not only is it a good icebreaker, you know, you can also start with other simple icebreakers, which do you prefer, you know, beach or mountains. But anyway, breakout sessions, not only are they a good icebreaker, but people discover how to apply, like I said, best practices and what they've learned from you. Number 12, do polls. This is another excellent tool you can utilize with Zoom, Teams, which are probably the two most popular, and I know Adobe Connect. I like to keep the names anonymous so people know they can answer the questions however they want. But if you know your group well, you may want to configure it to where you know who answered the poll and in what way. So kind of do whatever, you know, make this your own and just do what works for you. Number 13, get everyone talking about their favorite topic. Do you know what everyone's favorite topic is? Of course you do. (laughs) Themselves. One day, it finally dawned on me that the reason so many of my participants love the breakout sessions is because they get to tie the information into their own lives. Now, I already talk about how what I'm speaking on applies professionally and often personally. I also have everybody fill out evaluations at the end. I've been doing this for as long as I've been speaking, which is over two decades. I've never had anyone say that too much time was spent in breakout groups. That said, I occasionally get someone who says they would have liked more time in breakouts. And I know sometimes you have so much material to cover, um, you can't always give too much time. But visit the rooms. I join the rooms to kind of get an idea of where they are at, and I let them know I'm, I'm there just to see how things are going, not to spy. <laughs> Number 14, plan. Failing to plan is like planning to fail. Do you know what you want to cover? Have a lot of this. This sounds so basic, but have a lot of this planned out ahead of time because what you need to be thinking about is... If your speaking time gets cut short, what must you address and what could you put into digital handouts or just point out? This is extremely important as a lot of my a lot of my participants tell me that their presentation time often gets cut short at the last minute. So be thinking, what could you leave out if you had to? This happens a lot with conferences where another speaker runs overtime and now you're having to uh, shorten your time because you want to be mindful and make sure to get everybody out on time. Be mindful of their time. Number 15, I touched on this earlier, have backups. I speak virtually with my laptop in addition to a second laptop and my iPhone as backups. So I have two laptops and an iPhone. What do I mean by that? Each computer, okay, now this is a lot, but I recommend this. 
Each computer is on a separate plug attached to a separate, they're, they're both attached to separate surge protectors. And on my second laptop, I sign in the way my audience would sign in. So I see on my screen what they see. I don't have to say, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I already know what they're seeing. Additionally, I make both my second laptop, I call it my attendee laptop because I sign in as if I'm them. So I make both my second laptop and my iPhone co-hosts. Why do you want to do this? Why is this important to you? Zoom and Teams will automatically default your co-host devices to host if something happened to your host computer. So you don't disappear and you don't lose your group. Number 16, reboot your computer or computers first thing in the morning. I once had a gentleman in one of my speaking engagements who said that just when he was ready to share his slides to upper level management, his computer decided to reboot. He disappeared, you know, was lost completely, had to reboot and start over. Now, he does reboot, but uh, I can't remember if he said he forgot that morning or he was short on time. For whatever reason, he just didn't reboot that morning. And he was a techie. So if it can happen to him, it can happen to us mere mortals. 17, update the versions that you use of Zoom or Teams uh, WebEx, whatever it is that you use, Adobe Connect, and anything else, because they are changing almost weekly, and they're all competing with each other. If if they discover any bugs, these platforms like Zoom or Teams, if they discover any bugs or mistakes, most likely it'll be fixed in the next version. So it's imperative that you keep your versions updated. Number 18, don't be afraid of silence. First, know that with technology, there's a delay. So if you ask a question, you may not get an answer right away. This is something I have to consistently remind myself of, that when everybody is virtual, if you ask a question, there's a little bit of a delay before they respond. Plus, they might just be thinking before they respond. I do a lot of speaking for a lot of very high-level people, very technical people, more the thinkers that are going to think before responding. And you can always say the answer. So after asking if no one responds, you can always then just say the answer or you can also ask people to answer the question in chat, as that often makes the quieter folks feel more comfortable in participating. That's a, a great tool for warming people up. 
And remember, some people have um, computers where maybe the webcam or the audio isn't working and they just don't want to call in, but they're comfortable with chat. I also teach people how to use the annotation tool on Zoom. So without going too into the weeds, it's another creative and for some safer way that people can participate because again, they don't have to speak. So I love the annotation tool and I find that people think that it's really um, a fun tool to use. And I put together slides in the beginning so that for people that are visual, they can literally see what the annotation looks like and what it is for them to do. Remember, over time, people will speak up if you make it a safe, comfortable environment for them and they feel free to share. That is really important. Um, and that brings me to another important point, number 19. Schedule time either at the end for a question and answer period, the Q&A, or let them know that they're free to ask questions throughout. Usually this will be determined by how much time you have. Be prepared to be, this can be a challenge for some people, but be prepared to bring the conversation back to the original topic if someone goes off topic. The question and answer period is typically where speakers, they lose their audience, they kind of, you know, lose control, and the conversation can go sailing off into the sunset. So have a plan. When you do the Q&A, you may have people that start to go a little off topic. So be thinking, how are you going to bring it back to the original topic. Remember, you want to be mindful of everybody's time. Number 20, if you have the luxury of participating in a multiple speaker presentation, or even if you don't, have a point person in the meeting who can step up and step in for you if you suddenly drop out. So this is more likely to be in a multi- speaker presentation, but if not, and, and you're just presenting to your company, have a point person, you know, planned way ahead of time in the meeting who would be able to step in for you for a few minutes if for sudden, you know, for some reason your internet company is <laughs> doing your cable company uh, updates and, you know, you drop out for a minute or two. Better yet, let people know ahead of time that if you suddenly disappear, you will be right back. I've known of some speaker colleagues who are glad they said this because on occasion, through no fault of their own, they drop out and need to sign back in. This happened to somebody I know who is probably the most prepared, well-versed individuals I know. 21, number 21. If your participants do drop out, let them know in the beginning that the best thing they can do is reboot their computer and then come back. Better yet, if they're having technical difficulties in the beginning, that is a great time for them to just completely sign out, 
reboot, and sign back in. So this is a way that you're helping them. 22, if you're going to be using slides, you know, let's say you're going to be using PowerPoint slides, less is more. Design them with only a few colors, use bullets and phrases, and don't read your slides. That would seem obvious, but if you're using bullets and phrases, you're less likely to read the slides because otherwise you will lose your audience. Don't use them as a crutch. Always have a backup with your key points and your sub points written down in large print on a piece of paper in case something were to happen to your slides or your computer. I say large print. Okay, now some of us need large print for <laughs> other reasons, but I say large print written down on a piece of paper, your key points and sub points, because you want to be able to glance down at your notes, then quickly look at your audience. Remember, you want to stay focused on them. You want to have eye contact with them, not with your slides. So that's where it is really important to you to have this written in large print where you could just glance at it. I call it fast food for the eyes. Number 23, the number one thing your audience will remember is your closer, your closing. Why? Okay, you know. <laughs> because that's the last thing they'll hear. So think about how you want to end way ahead of time. And make sure you wrap up in two minutes or less or you'll lose them. If you're presenting a lot of technical material or this is an educational talk, you could... Uh, just as a suggestion, you could end with some questions posed on your slides. Have them answer the questions as a review. You can end with a powerful quote or startling statistics. You could end with a story or a poem that circles back to your main point or you could close with a current event related to your topic. Whatever works for you and that would work for them. Number 24. Okay, hang in there with me. We're, we're kind of near the end. Hang in there with me. Number 24, the second most important thing your audience will remember is your opener. So whatever you do, don't start with good morning or Good afternoon, <laughs> because it's boring and obvious. Again, you could start with a story somewhere within your first two minutes. People remember stories. It draws people in. Or again, you could start with some startling statistics related to your topic, a quote, whatever grabs their attention that is relevant to the material and that would be relevant to them. Number 25, you won't always please everyone. And, you know, another thing too, sometimes you're presenting maybe what they would consider to be bad news 
or maybe you're presenting a message your group doesn't want to hear or it's going to mean more work for them. It's not necessarily you, the messenger, they're unhappy with. Sometimes it's the message. Be yourself. Learn from your mistakes. Do your best and detach from the rest. Did I leave anything out? Can you think of any other public speaking tips, especially in a virtual environment, that you'd like to share? If so, follow me on Instagram at adoptingjoy underscore. Remember the underscore symbol and share your ideas. I'd love to hear from you. In closing, here are two quotes to remember. And I think this really illustrates um, public speaking in a virtual environment, public speaking in general. Nelson Mandela said, I never lose. Either I win or I learn. I think you can apply that to any life situation. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Please, if you haven't already subscribed to the Adopting Joy podcast, please do and share it with your friends. You can follow me on Instagram at adoptingjoy underscore. That's at adoptingjoy, J-O-Y, and the underscore symbol. On Twitter, at adoptingjoy. Thank you.